When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hi, Irene. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. You're welcome. I just want to say it's good to have you on the show and everything. I do appreciate you taking the time to for this interview. No problem. So... I'm talking to Irene Gracie for her short film, Life Is. And I just want to say, I enjoy this little short film that you have on YouTube and everything. I really enjoy the music from it. I enjoy the acting as well and how real it actually hits. So I just want to point that out on how much I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Now, I'm kind of curious about this. How did you come up with the idea for your short story? Well, originally, uh, we were playing around with uh, figuring out some creative editing uh, and filming. And we came up with a one-minute short uh, that we were trying to put together. And basically, the idea was the uh, a girl gets killed and the mom takes matters in her own hands. And it never came together the way we wanted it to. And several months later, uh, I was driving and listening to some music. And one of my favorite bands from Scotland, Runrig, one of their songs started playing. And the one minute popped into my head. And I was able to actually grow it into a longer version to fit the the song. I really enjoy that aspect of it, to be honest. It actually gave it some type of realism to where people can relate to it. And matter of fact, it even made me a little emotional as well, seeing this mother going through this. And, you know, and you also have the justice system not doing what it's supposed to do and then the mother has to go into her and take justice to her own hands it's very relatable yeah i can actually see a mother doing something like that i would just want to say that that's actually pretty neat of how you actually came up with the idea well i am a mom and i would pretty much do about anything for my kids uh short of murder but uh yeah i i can understand the frustrations and the heart that a mom would feel having to go through something like that. Exactly. I don't have any kids of my own, but I could just imagine something like that going through my own mind and having my own kids at and something tragic actually happens to where they're not here anymore and the justice system just doesn't do anything for me and therefore I have to go on ahead and take justice into my own hands and that's what's so relatable about it. That makes it so real. And that's just makes the movie, the short film stand out and everything on its own. And that's what I really appreciate from it. Thank you. You're very welcome. And I'm also kind of curious too, about who are your favorite directors? What got you into film? Well, um, I, in Scotland, I did take a film class once a long time ago. And then I got married and got out of film and theater and didn't get back into it until 2010. And, uh, but my favorite directors, I would say, are people like Peter Jackson and uh, George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, the visionaries. The, the way that they are able to tell a story without necessarily even saying a word, just by the pictures and the, the images that they portray on the screen. Exactly. And a lot of people don't realize this. You can actually tell a story without a lot of dialogue. Just the human emotion alone will actually, you can actually tell a story just based on the emotion itself. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. And everything. Because I remember watching a couple of movies, for instance, like A Quiet Place, which is that horror um, movie. There's hardly any dialogue in it. Yeah. And there's a lot of meat to actually digest from just watching those facial expressions. Absolutely. And that makes it even that more horrifying. And like Steven Spielberg, like you mentioned before, he's really good at actually doing that to where you can actually feel the emotion of the character without the dialogue of the characters or anything. Yeah, too many many times uh, people want to feel a void with dialogue and it can lead the audience to the conclusion of the film before you even want them to be there. Exactly. And that's exactly why I love just the emotion itself because you can get so glued into the character that way and sucked into that world. Absolutely. And, And that's what I loved about Gimli with Peter Jackson and everything too just being inside of that world and how horrified Gimli looked whenever they were inside where the hobbits used to be and everything in that cave and seeing different things move around and stuff like that and looking at his ancestors the way he did. Yeah, absolutely. That's what gravitated me. That's what gave me some emotion to his character. Yeah. But... What I was actually wondering about, too, was what was it like for you as a film fan and wanting to write and direct your own movies? Well, it was intimidating to start off with. I wasn't 100% certain I could do it. Uh, My first film that I wrote was called Scylla. It's on YouTube uh, under Tylee Films, which Tylee Films is the film company that my spouse and I created Tylee is a Gaelic word that means family, not necessarily family friendly films, but we are a family of filmmakers. I right. surround myself with people that I love and that I love to work with. You see, I love that. I love the fact that even when I mentioned to Crichton and everything too, because he said he wanted to feel like everybody was a family on set. And everything, Absolutely. and the fact that you have this company where you actually feel a presence of family on the set, on your side, and everything as well. I love that aspect of it because you want to feel like your family and actually feel like that you guys are getting along and everything, where everything is just working out beautifully to where you can actually wor- come and work together as a team rather than working against each other. That's correct. And where everybody's opinion matters. And no one's going to get upset if someone disagrees with you. Um, Of course, as, you know, the person that's writing it and directing it, ultimately I have final say-so, but willing to listen to all aspects and if someone has a better idea to go with that. Exactly. And it's rare to actually have that now in Hollywood and everything else because you hear so much stuff about, actors directors biting heads and everything and they forget what the passion actually is about and what it's like to work with certain actors and actresses within their whole entire career absolutely i i feel that it is important to have a good rapport with your cast and with your crew especially with your crew more so because they're the ones that's going to make the magic happen Exactly. Because your job as a director is to get the best performance that you can from your actors or actresses yeah, and everything. And if it doesn't go according to how you have it, how they have it, how you have it wrote out and everything, it could either go flat or it can actually elevate the scene. Absolutely. And you can even tell that friction on the set, too, where... You can actually tell in the presence of their eyes or the way their body dialogue is and everything, too. It's like, okay, this is not flowing the way it needs to be flowing. You, There's some stuff that's actually being done on set to where they could be tensed up or they're not getting along. And you can actually tell that in a certain scene. Yes. Yeah. And I just want to commend you for actually having a good creative team where you guys 
are all getting along because I love hearing stories about that. Oh, yeah. It's, it's extremely important to me that the people that I work with are the type of people that are willing to to give their opinion and not worry about, well, is she going to be upset if I speak up, uh, that whether I think this is going to work or not, um, where you're talking about your cinematographer. If he's filming something and it just looks too dark or it just doesn't work right at that angle, then talking, having the ability to talk to your director about it and know that that director is going to take your opinions uh, as valid is very highly important. Exactly. Because you don't want the scene to be too dark or anything. Let's say, for instance, like, I'm going to use an example that I saw recently in The Walking Dead show. Like, you could actually see a lot of stuff where it's just, like, really dark. Mm -hmm. You can't really see anything that's really going on. There's lightning, rain going on and stuff like that. But you can't really tell what's actually happening. It doesn't really do much for your scene. And the fact that you like to actually have communication with your actors and actresses like that to where you can take in and say, okay, maybe I could lighten that up a little bit more and everything. I'm glad that you actually brought that to my attention. Maybe I can expand it a little bit more yes. and lighten it up. Oh, absolutely. And I think certain actors or actresses are actually scared to speak up sometimes because they're scared of that whole entire thing. It's like, okay, how is this director going to act if I say, hey, look, you need to go on ahead and lighten it up a little bit because of the fact that as an audience, they might not be able to see the scene right. The angle might be off-putting. I want to give you the best performance, but it's hard to do it in that kind of setting. And it's sad to actually see some tension on the set like that, you know? Oh, yes, definitely. I think too many actors and actresses these days feel that that their opinion doesn't matter as much to the director. They just have to go and do their job as opposed to being part of the the whole movie itself. They're just as important to the entire movie as they are to just showing up and, you know, acting for one day or two days or whatever and nothing else be involved in any other aspect of the movie. Exactly. It's like, I have a job to do. I'm going to get in and get out as fast as I can, get rid of the scene and be done with it. Yeah. Rather than taking my time and having my passion there that's carrying me through this, I'm just going to go ahead, get in, get out, and that'll be it. Yeah. And I wish that it wasn't like that. I wish that people would actually take their time like they used to and be and just be open and honest about certain things to where it can actually flow well with other people to where you can actually have that chemistry with your act with their actor or actresses that they're working with and i do i do think that there is a movement in the film industry uh these days towards some of that i know that uh here and locally in mississippi there are several small film companies that openly um want their their actors and their uh cat their crew to participate in all aspects of the movie making process and encourage it uh, thinking globally or, or not globally so much as you know nationwide one group of people that come to mind as a supernatural series those right. those guys i have uh, i've met a couple of the actors just through conventions that I've worked and uh, they, they truly love each other and it tells on set how much they enjoy doing it. And they all take turns directing, they take turns writing. They, you know, they participate in all aspects of that uh, franchise and that's why it has lasted as long as it has. Exactly. That's what I was just about to say. You could actually tell that it's lasting because of that chemistry, because of the fact that they actually feel like family and because they actually get along on the set and they actually do share the work. 
Yep. Rather it be just on one person. Absolutely. And I feel like, too, having all that work built up on one person, it can really stress you out. So you actually need someone to take that extra load off of you. Definitely. And it's as tough as a filmmaker when you have a vision to allow other people to do their position, to do their job, like editing. Uh, as a director, it's hard to say, okay, here, I'm going to put this into your hands as an editor and let you do the editing without, you know, me watching over your shoulder to make sure you're doing it exactly the way I want it. Uh, coming back then afterwards instead and looking at it and saying, okay, I see where you've what you've done here, but this is the way my vision was. Can we try it this way? And then we'll look at both options and determine which is the best for the film overall. That's actually pretty cool because you want to be able to do that with your editor and everything to see what is the best uh, type of way to actually edit your movie the way that it needs to be edited. Because if you don't have that, if that editor is not going to listen to you or anything like that, it's just going to be left on the editing floor. Yes, and I, I had an extremely good, my videographer also edited the movie. And uh, he, good friend of mine, and his name is Julian Benson. And he, uh, he had several um, different visions for the way he wanted, he felt that the storyline should go that was different from the way I envisioned it. We kept a few things and we didn't keep a few things. Some of his vision is in there along with some of my vision. That's good though. That's good that you're able to meet halfway. Absolutely. And another thing I'm kind of curious about is like when you're doing movie trailers and stuff like that. Is that up to the editor or is that up to the studio to decide on what goes into something? Um, when we did the trailer for Life Is, I basically told them these are the highlights that I want to put in there. I just li want little snippets. And it's really hard with a five-minute short to... to tell the show the trailer without telling the entire story right and so i was we had to be extremely careful not to show certain aspects to give it away so that right. you watch the trailer you you see that there's something has happened but you don't know the outcome of what's going to to finish exactly. up the story and because i was Every, right, because basically everything is just spliced in half to where you can actually make a trailer out of this five-minute short. Yes, it was extremely difficult, but I did rely heavily on my editor for that and also suggestions from my spouse, who is also the lead actor in it. Uh, he is, he's extremely helpful with my, you know, he was the one that, encouraged me to write in the first place that's awesome though um how long have you been writing um the first one i wrote was four years ago which was still it, and it took yeah four about four years ago and uh he he was encouraging me to write and i didn't know that i could and he said go ahead and give me a synopsis of what the movie line that you envision is and I'll write it for you. And I sat down to write a synopsis and ended up with a script. That's pretty awesome. It, yeah, it was very surprising for me. As it, um, so it was, it was a very enjoyable experience and the good thing about still about um, life is I didn't have to write dialogue. I knew what I wanted, but I didn't actually have dialogue. Not even in the one minute was there dialogue. Right. So when the, the song came up, that dialogue in the song 
just fit exactly how I envisioned the storyline to be. And you see, that's what I like too is, you know, you can actually have a silent film pretty much with just the song itself telling the story rather than the characters interacting and talking. Yeah. As well. Absolutely. And another thing too is with this short film, are you hoping that a major studio will pick it up? I remember watching this other short story called Lights Out. It was actually an independent five-minute short and then Bloomhouse or Universal, I can't remember which one, picked it up and then they made a little small budget for it and then they winded up making a major motion picture out of it. So are you thinking about going along those lines or is this going to be around just a short film that you felt very passionate about? Well, absolutely. The goal of any independent filmmaker is that a larger studio would see your work and want to work with you or want to um, make your story into a bigger motion picture. Um, with this, with Life Is, the the band that gave us permission to use their music the, the first thing I did when I realized I wanted to use that song is reach out to the band. And I said, I'm a small film production company. I don't have, you know, really any money, but I'm willing to pay for copyrights if I can get it to, to use your music. And they gave me special permission to use it, providing that, you know, when it's on YouTube, we don't get any money from it any monetization on YouTube will go to them, which I don't have a problem with that. Right, because you're using their art to tell your story. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and they were willing to allow me to use it. That's such an honor. I mean, this this band, Runrig, has been around for 45 years. I listened to it as a child. Oh, and, wow. Yes. That's and, amazing. And the year that we were doing Life Is was their final tour. And so I'm hoping, of course, with the YouTube, it being on YouTube, that people will come to find it that are fans of Runrig and grow my uh, viewership on Tylee Films a lot more. So that's where it's a win for me. However, on also on the movie... Uh, my spouse pointed out to me after I came to him with the vision of what I wanted and I laid it out for him. And he said, you know, that reminds me of an old, old movie that I saw that has Sally Field and Kiefer Sutherland in it. It's called An yep. Eye for an Eye. I was going to get to that, too. That's exactly what it reminded me of. Yeah. And I'd never seen that movie. So he had to sit down with me and we, we watched the movie and it is extremely similar because it's basically the same thing. The, the, the daughter gets killed and the mother doesn't get justice, so she takes matters into her own hands. I could definitely see a Sally Field type of vibe from it, though, too, like you said, mm. because that's the first thing I thought of, too, was an eye for an eye. Yeah, And that's what motivated me to even love what you did even more. Yeah. Because of it. Yeah, Sally, and, Sally Fields was such, still is such an amazing actress. She really is. She has that charisma. She has that spark. When she's on her A-game, you can definitely tell that she's there. Absolutely. Not just reciting lines. Yeah. And that's how I feel like some actresses are today, or actors too, for that matter. They're just there, and it's like they woke up out of bed, and they said a couple of lines, and then they went back to sleep. Yeah. With some I of the stuff. Mm -hmm. But, like I said, if you have that drive in you, and that passion in you, you want to be able to see that, your audience to be able to see that. And that's what I've gotten from that short video, was the drive of the characters and also within the music itself. Yes. And that's the most important thing. And I just want to tell you again how much I really enjoyed just seeing that short 
Thank you. You're welcome. I think I've watched it at least three or four times in, in a row just to try to get a good understanding of what you were going for. Yeah. And it worked. It really worked in your favor. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. Another thing, too, that I really want to get at, too, is, you know, are you working on anything else at the moment? Uh, we are currently, um, a Spice has a short film that ultimately we want to grow into a feature, but he had shot it two years ago and realized in the editing process that there was a lot of issues with the lighting and with the sound. And so he is in, uh, in conjunction with WCO films here in Hattiesburg to recreate that. And Mm -hmm. they're going to, we're just in the pre-production stage of getting it to um, all the budget and everything so that we can pay the actors and the the crew in order to, to reshoot that. It'd take about a weekend to to reshoot it. Uh, We also, I am currently writing a feature-length script that I call it loosely my Ted Bundy story. Oh, nice. Because I don't have an actual title for it yet, but it's that type of story where you have the the Ted Bundy-type character and ultimately the female that he ends up pursuing ends up um, defeating him in the end. So it oh. is very much uh, woman empowerment. I don't classify myself as a feminist, but I do believe in empowering that women are empowered to do whatever they feel they can do. Oh, most definitely. I believe in a woman can do just as good of a job that a man can. Absolutely. And everything. And I've never been that one type. I'm a man. I need to go on ahead and show the woman what I need to do. No, I don't. I was never brought up in that kind of way or anything like that. I was brought up in like a very old school way where I where women can do just as good as men can. And they're equally the same. Absolutely. And that's the way I've always thought. That's always been my thought process through anything. Yeah. Like, any job I have, I remember, for an example, where I worked as a housekeeper in a, in a certain building, and this guy goes, I can do a better job than a woman can. I said, really? Mm-mm. I said, we're guys. We're going to miss things that women are going to get right off the bat. Yeah. And I said, and that's just the way women are shaped and formed. They can actually see things a little bit more clear than what guys can. Because we're so edgy sometimes where we actually miss the littlest, smallest thing. And women can actually do a 10 times better job than what men can. But also in saying that, I also I like to play devil's advocate. While I believe that a woman can do just as good as a a man in a man's job and vice versa, I believe a man can do a woman's job just as good. But um, by the same token, I also know that there are limitations to certain things that women can do. Um, You know, she can't. I know me as a, a personally, I can't lift 50 pound bags. All day, you know, for for eight hours straight, you know, moving moving stuff. That would kill me. I'm not physically made that way. There are some women out there that are and that are strong and that can do that kind of thing. But you have to be aware as a person what your limitations are. Right. Exactly. And not fault other people for it. Right. I totally I totally agree with you on that. 110%. You have to know your surroundings. You have to know exactly what you can and can't handle and everything, or else you wind up hurting your own self. That's correct. And another thing I want to mention, too, is, like, with improv and stuff like that, 
that's something else that I really love about certain things with movies and stuff like that, where I hear actors or actresses like, let me try this scene out in this kind of way. And it's not even written in the script in that kind of way. Absolutely. And that's what makes it stand out a lot. Yes. Yeah, that makes me think of Robin Williams and Good Morning America. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good morning, Vietnam. Vietnam, yeah. yes. Good morning, Vietnam. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's okay. He, he uh, in that movie, a lot of when he was doing his radio show was improv And the, the studio kept it in because it was so good. I agree. He, whenever he shined on something, they just let the cameras keep on rolling on him. Absolutely. Just to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. And 99.9% of the time, it worked. It, oh, yeah. it worked in his favor. And that's what I love hearing about these stories with certain uh, actors and stuff like that, too, where the scenes wasn't even intended to be in that way. And then it came out to be this giant, huge scene that everybody remembers later on. Yeah. Like, the one thing that stands out for me is the Leonardo DiCaprio movie with Django Unchained. There was a part where he cut his finger. Yes. and On the glass, when he slammed the glass down, yes. And that was not even part of the whole entire thing, but it added to his character. Absolutely. And that made me realize, too, how good Leonardo DiCaprio is as an actor. Yeah, and he's just going with it, and I just love that one. I love that scene because it, of it. Oh yeah, definitely, and it's it's great that that he is able to get into his character that much. To he was invested in his character. He is not one of those actors that we were talking about that just shows up and says their lines. He actually invests time into becoming that character. When he's on field. I 100% agree with you. I even loved him in The Departed. And of a couple of other movies. And stuff like that. And there's. he, Leonardo DiCaprio just disappears. And he's just that character. And that's how good he is. He is. Absolutely. Another question I actually have for you is. What's your favorite moment about filming the short film? Um. I have several different favorite moments. Probably my most favorite. I don't know if you if you notice and when you were watching it near the end when the mom and daughter are together and she had just given her the graduation picture and bracelet and the daughter gets up to walk off and the mother's watching her. I also have my dog is sitting there and my dog, we were filming, we did it in one take. My dog was sitting beside uh, Emily, the the girl that was playing my daughter and uh, my dog watched her get up and walk off and kept his gaze on her until we yelled cut and then then he got down off of the chair and went about his business. That's amazing. You don't really hear too much of stuff like that happening. I really think that's really cool. Absolutely. And it's amazing, too, about how animals can actually sense something to where, okay, I can actually do this type of thing where I can actually gaze until my my owner tells me otherwise. Yeah, he, he's not. That was the first time he'd ever been on film, so he just that was did it perfectly. Cool. Yes, uh, that's probably my most favorite part. Uh, another part that I really like about the movie, and I actually wasn't there. I had to work the day that they filmed the uh, the B roll of the snake, and I really, really love that. Um, my my lead actress, Emily, she has a ball python and I I asked her if she would mind bringing it out so that we could get some B-roll of snake because in my mind that, you know, most people's fear of snakes plays into the fear of something happening to their child 
or something happening to to them as they're out and it adds that darkness most definitely to the expectation of what's going to happen exactly and that's the thing that i noticed too about the snake it also kind of reminded me of like an adam and eve kind of vibe where the devil was tempting eve to eat the apple yes and you have this stranger that just comes into the picture all of a sudden and takes that life away and that's the same concept with the whole adam and eve thing where we have this perfect unity and then it's just automatically destroyed. Within seconds, yes. Right. And that's exactly what I visioned whenever I saw that whole entire scene go down. Yeah. And like I said, it's heartbreaking and it's emotional and it hits you right where the heart is. And that is something that you really want to have for that particular scene. Absolutely. I know that I said this earlier, but I said that I know that it's the job of the director to get the best performance out of their actors or actresses, but how do you help them get the best performance that they can give you? Um, well, for example, in that scene, uh, my spouse is playing the, the bad guy, and he really does not, he, he is such a puppy dog when it comes to women. I mean, he he is loving and kind, but he is the protector and, you know, he'll go after someone if any of the women that is near him, if someone tries to hurt them or anything like that, he, he would kill for someone. He would kill for any of the women in his life, simply because, if they were hurt like that. He would go right. to jail for him, the type of person he is. So just the thought of having to pretend even to hurt someone was really tough for him to come up to, to bring that expression across and I had to sit down with him and I had to you know, really <laughs> push him to to disassociate himself in his own thoughts of, of how he views women to becoming someone else. It's not him doing it. It's the character doing it. Right. The character needs to be in a certain mind frame and the character needs to be reacting in a certain way. And so I had to, I had to kind of push him on that. And uh, I mean, we were extremely cautious. There was one moment where he almost hit her and he was, he was really, you know, devastated for a few minutes because he felt so bad that he almost hit her that, you know, we had to take a break from filming until he could get back in the mindset, you know, in order to, to be that bad guy. I like, I like hearing stories somewhat like that too, though, where, you know, you actually have to, sit down with the actor and say, hey, look, this is not you. This is the character that you're supposed to be perceiving. Yes. And you have to try and disappear for a little bit to get into that whole mindset. And another example that I'm going to use is look at Joaquin Phoenix for the Joker. He had to go through some tremendous yes. change with that role. Absolutely. And dealing with mental health and everything else to go along with it. Yes. And stuff like that. And I was telling me this. I wish that they, he would make a sequel. I said, my thought process is always this. What is the thought process with the actor that has do, that's doing this role? And how long can they actually do this role for to where it really messes them up? Because I don't want another Heat Ledger type of it, thing going on. Exactly. I was just about to say, to mention Heath Ledger with that. I, yeah. And my thought process, too, was I would like to see a sequel, but at the same time, I would like for Joaquin to go on ahead and pursue other roles so he's not so wrapped up in this character. Yes. To where something like what Heath Ledger went through 
happens to him. And I think Joachim, he's he he's such a well-rounded character or person. I believe that he would be able to disassociate himself from the the Joker in order to do other things. It makes me think of Anthony Hopkins. I mean, right. Silence of the Lambs is such a dark, such a devastating type movie. But yet he has gone on. He has done so many other things. And not a lot, you know, not let that particular character, even though he is associated with the Hannibal Lecter character for the rest of his life, he doesn't let that define who he is. Exactly. I full heartedly agree with you on that. And also, too, with you said with your actor, he actually disappeared for a little bit, too, where he almost felt like he was going to be hitting on her and he didn't realize it and then the whole guilt of him almost doing it and everything you know I know that's really unsettling for someone that's not used to that yes yes and And it's it's really tough for him every time he watches it it's really tough for him to see himself in that role I can imagine he he really he he has a hard time with that section of the movie because he he doesn't like to see himself portrayed that way. I can I can see why I can see why he wouldn't want to be portrayed that way, and I could see maybe his family thinking, "Oh God, you know, if is this who he really is?" Yeah, and that kind of aspect, you know. Well, fortunately, I don't think they think that. Right, right. What I'm, what but, I'm thinking but is... But there is his... the possibility, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I like I said, it's one of those things where you actually have to disappear for a little bit and become that character, and it does become hard. Absolutely. Another question I would like to actually ask you is, what other movie studios do you hope to work with in the future? Well, um, currently we have locally worked with PRCC Campus. They have their uh, their film studio where Mr. Ron Haig, he, he is the, their teacher, professor, and he is incredibly talented, and he has a number of short films out. In fact, uh, there's a young man uh, that was, what's his name? His name, I just forgot his name. He was also in Stranger Things. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, he had his acting debut in one of Ron Haig's um, movies, short movies at PRCC campus. Um, oh, I don't even have a way of looking up his name. He played the bully. Okay, I know who you're talking about. Yes. Peyton. Peyton. Yep. Yep. And uh, so we have worked uh, with PRCC occasionally, and uh, we also work with WCO Studios here in Hattiesburg. But I really would like to to do more with possibly the Saint Studios down on the coast. Um, of course, ultimately, anyone's goal, as I said earlier, is to work with the big guys, but you got to right. work your way up. You gotta exactly. work slowly, and uh, I see Saint Studios is is producing quite a few things, and um, they're growing their studios and their film um, libraries. So it would be nice, maybe as a next step up, uh, someone else that we've worked with here le- locally is Historia Films. We'd love to to do more with them. I'm actually hoping that when I finish writing this uh, storyline that possibly Historia will uh, partner with us to to create the feature. Um, they've, provide, they've produced several feature films that are on Amazon right now. Okay. Uh, That's pretty neat. Yep. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm actually writing a, a story right now, too. Really? Yeah, I'm actually writing a 
a guy, a psychiatrist, that actually gets into people's heads to where they are actually the ones who are actually killing their own selves. And he actually has a split personality disorder, too. Okay, I can see that. So almost the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type person. Exactly. But now is he hypnotizing his patients to get inside their heads or basically how he does it is by asking them about what they've done in their past. Ooh. And then what he does is he keeps reminding them every single day at every session of what what they've done to the point where they're actually breaking down and punishing their own selves for their own guilt and shame. Yeah. To the point where they're breaking. He's he's piling that that guilt on deeper and deeper and deeper. Exactly. And there's no healing. There's only that pain and suffering. Yeah. To the point where they break into their breaking point. That's really cool. Thank you. That that would make an awesome movie. Thank you. I do appreciate that. And uh, I've been working on it for a little bit and everything. As a matter of fact, I have it to where, you know, you can actually see him fighting in his own thoughts. Where yeah. it's in his own head. And in his own head, he's fighting this voice in his head. While he's trying to communicate with his patient. Okay, yeah. So I've got that going on at the same time that there's dialogue flowing through out of his mouth. That make really good visuals. You know, I can picture it just by you telling me about that. I can picture it in my head how it would how it would look. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. Um, for my last and final question, I'm curious about this. How long did it take you to direct Life Is? Well, the the initial 30 second, 30, yeah, 30 second movie um, we did in like an afternoon. We filmed it in an afternoon, so that was really nothing much. But as I said, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. When I started getting ready for the second one, we actually took four days to to put it together because we needed different venues, different locations. Um, the we we actually drove around with the camera on driving around, just figuring out lighting and. While I was in the the car, so part of that was in the film. Uh, it was it was it was challenging directing and still being the actress in the film too, right. because I do play the the mother part. Right, but um, it did help to have, as I said, my crew be part of my extended family to where they could help me in the times when I was acting to co-direct and help me with that. So I would, I would say we were direct. I was directing it about three days, three, four days. That's pretty cool. Um, because get this, I remember too, I'm going to use your, um, thing where you said that you were acting and directing at the same time. Yes. Uh, Sylvester Stallone did the same thing with Rocky. Yes, he did, yeah. And he said he was so worn down with doing both, he decided, hey, I'm an actor, so I'm going to stick to what I know. Yeah. Instead of trying to do both. And now Michael B. Jordan, who played Crete, Apollo Crete's son, mm-hmm. said that he told Sylvester Stallone, hey, I want to act and direct. And this kind of reminds me of Mickey from, you know, the Rocky movies where Sylvester Stallone's managing him as himself and saying, hey, kid, do not do this. I wore myself out by directing yes. and acting. Yes. 
and stick to what you know. And I love the fact that he's guiding him, trying to give him the proper guidance, even off the screen. Yeah. And I just have so much respect because of that. And you, you have to, as a actress and director and writer, you have to know where and when to draw the lines. You have to know when to stop being an actor and become a director, when to stop being right. a director and just be an actor. And a lot of people have difficulty making those distinctions. I know yeah. that the, the first time I directed was actually a theater play. And that's when I realized, okay, I love to direct. So I have difficulty watching theater now because I think I, there's so many things I could have done better with this character. Right. But I know I can, I can still sit back and enjoy it regardless. That's always a good thing. When you know that you can sit back, relax, and say, hey, I got this. Mm. I've done this. And I can go to sleep knowing that I did well with it. Yeah. But I think that's going to include everything that I wanted to say uh, and ask you for this interview. But I just want to say thank you again for being on here and allowing me to interview you. Oh, it's definitely my pleasure. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm glad you did. Anytime that you want to be on the show, you're always more than welcome to be on it. Thank you. You're welcome. And this is Irene Gracie, uh, director of Life Is and writer for Life Is. And you also are doing a lot of independent film festivals too, right? Yes, we've, we did um, Oxford Film Festival, which was uh, the biggest in the state of Mississippi. And we also did uh, Festival Scythe Film Festival and Rails to Reels Film Festival. All right. So we know how to actually see some of your stuff. We know how to get in touch with you if we need to uh, do another interview again. And of course, you can also check out Life Is on YouTube. I'm actually going to have a link in the description to where everybody can check it out. And as always, until next time, bye-bye. Thank you again, Irene. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're welcome. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye.